Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. And uh, however you prefer, you can open your Bibles or Bible apps to the book of Revelation, chapter 14. Revelation 14. So if you uh, have not been with us in a while, uh, we started this series uh, over two years ago. We started in Genesis, and we've been looking for the gospel uh, from one cover to the next. And so we are almost to the next, uh, but we find ourselves in Revelation chapter 14 as we kind of continue this slow trek uh, towards the end. Uh, In the last few weeks, uh, we have been introduced to the terrible trio, the evil trinity, if you will. Uh, And we've seen that that they are made up of the dragon in chapter 12, which we have identified as Satan. The beast of the sea, we saw last week in chapter 13, we identified him as the Antichrist. And the beast from the earth, whom we identified as the false prophet. So what we do know is that this will begin to happen at the beginning of the seven-year Great Tribulation, the seven-year tribulation. So what Revelation is, it's kind of like the program that God has given his people uh, to tell us what the end of time will will look like. So you go to your kids' programs, they they hand you this piece of paper and you've got an order. And so this is kind of what it is. And, and, And we have acknowledged it doesn't all make sense. However, um, it's, it's still the, the Word of God, so don't get overwhelmed. Uh, the Antichrist will come these last seven years, temporarily and falsely, settle the unrest in the world, uh, promising to be for Israel. Under his protection, Israel will re- rebuild the temple, reinstate religious rituals, but by three and a half years in, the Antichrist will break that covenant with Israel, stop the ceremonies, and set himself up as God in this newly rebuilt temple. So what we've seen is Antichrist represents Satan's complete influence over the kingdoms of this earth. And we know that because most people have rejected Jesus, that they will walk right into the trap of the Antichrist, following him blindly, disillusioned, and destroyed. They would not worship Jesus for who he is, but they will gladly worship everything that Jesus stands against. It will be a dark time. And we see uh, glimpses of that in our world today. But imagine when Satan is no longer restrained from this earth. That's what we've seen in these last few chapters. All of this can be quite intimidating, quite confusing. And I am learning to not become overwhelmed with all this stuff that I can't understand, but to trust that it is the word of God, and it will not return void. It will accomplish what it is meant to accomplish. A couple of things that we can trust here this morning. The first blanks on your outline. Notice the, the, the continuity of the word of God. See, we, we can trace the insights and information given throughout the word of God about the end of time. And even though they were written hundreds of years apart, they don't contradict each other. They only solidify the cohesiveness of the Bible and they add more layers to the picture of what we see. This is a result of it being the inspired word of God. Secondly, we have also noted the sovereignty of God. We know who is in control through all of this. It is the same one true God that we worship here today. 
he allows Satan to wreak havoc. He gives the Antichrist power, but he places limits on all of them, and they cannot go beyond what he allows. And we see that he uses his enemies to defeat his enemies. And if you think about that, that is something only God could do. And because of this truth, God's people can endure. So remember, we have Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Satan is the counterfeit of the Father. Antichrist is the counterfeit of Jesus. The false prophet is the counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. His job is to glorify and point people to the Antichrist. Described as two beasts last week in chapter 13. The Antichrist and the false prophet. They will take control religiously and economically. And if the mark of the beast is not taken, then nobody will be able to buy or sell anything. Again... For us, we don't have to live in fear of what is to come. We just need to be ready if it comes in our lifetime. We need to hold fast. We need to endure. We need to not be tricked by the devil's traps. And don't we know there are many of the devil's traps in our lives. God's word in 1 John speaks to us today. 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So we find ourselves uh, once again in in deep water here in chapter uh, 14. Uh, The world continues to spin out of control in the last half of the seven-year Great Tribulation. Just so we know, it has been suggested that the events of chapter 14, they're not in chronological order like like we've seen before. Uh, They tell of some of the same judgments that we've seen in earlier chapters of Revelation. And so it's almost like we take a a step back and we look at the end panoramically. We get an idea uh, of what the, the rest of time looks like. If you are able, please stand. Out of, the, out of respect for the reading of, of God's word. We're just going to read the first five verses. Heaven is not silent as John receives this vision. <clears throat> then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion. And with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who, who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You can have a seat. So chapter 14, as we've seen before, heaven is not silent. And uh, the first voice that we hear is the voice of the multitude. That's number one on your outline, the voice of the multitude. Uh, we see these the same 144,000 that we've seen before. Remember in chapter 7, they were sealed. A word that means protected by God from Satan. Authenticated by God as 
his own people. When we were in chapter 7, we, we, we acknowledged uh, they could represent a literal 144,000 saved Jews out of the Great Tribulation. They could represent all of the Jews who have come to know Jesus throughout the course of history. Uh, they could represent all of God's people who have trusted in Jesus throughout the ages. Uh, it was of them, you might recall, my now uh, probably viral and most famous quote was about. Remember my quote? I don't know. But whoever they are, they are now with the Lamb. Antichrist got, gathered his followers in chapter 13, and here the Lamb gathers his. Now notice how this multitude is described. The next blank on your outline. They stand. They stand. They, they stand with Christ in verse 1, and we know that that is only made possible by the blood of the Lamb. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Notice this, this, this multitude is not defeated. This multitude is not condemned. They stand with Christ. They are an army equipped for victory. Not only do they stand, they also sing. The next blank on your outline. They sing to the Lamb. A song of worship fills the heavens. A song no one can learn except them. And now a case could be made that the reason only they can learn it is because they have experienced Jesus uniquely in the midst of the tribulation. In the midst of, of the depths of evil and sorrow, God has protected and sustained them. He has turned their mourning to dancing here, their sorrows into singing. And isn't it encouraging to know that this is what our God does for us? Because we still serve the same God, and our God never changes. It may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, it may not even be in this lifetime, church. But he will turn our sorrow to singing when he returns and abolishes death and wipes away every tear from every eye. They stand, they sing, they are separate. They are separate. The next blank. Uh, verses 3 and 4, it describes them as being redeemed from the earth, uh, redeemed from among men. Now, redeemed is a word that I understand to mean bought at a price as in a market. Now, think about if you go to the supermarket, uh, what you buy there doesn't stay there. It goes home with you because you bought it. So it, it, it's yours now. And so this describes these believers. And it also describes believers here today not of this world at one point in it but not of it because we have been bought with the price we do not belong here anymore now the fact that they are described as virgins in in verse four is another one of those things that could be literal but is likely figurative we know that god designed relationship between a husband and and a wife and they are good when when done within his boundaries and so this is not saying that, that they are sinful. I choose to believe that this description is, is figurative. This is spiritual. Because throughout the word, when God's people's hearts wandered from him to worship idols, he likens that to sexual immorality, telling them, them that they have played the harlot. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 2-4 says, For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. I don't think there's anything sexual about this. It's speaking figuratively. It's speaking about their spiritual condition. 
For I have betrothed you to one husband that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. He's talking to believers here. But I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. That's what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And when we, when we tie it all together, we have been given the privilege to stand with Christ and worship Him. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world, by being pure, not defiled. And yet, when presented with something contrary to the gospel of Jesus, we may well put up with it. Church, I wonder if it describes any of us among us today. Putting up with a, a false gospel, one that makes us feel good, making Jesus into something that we want him to be rather than who he really is, who the Bible says he is. The next blank's on your outline. There are parts of the gospel that are not meant to feel good. There are parts of the gospel that are not meant to feel good. Don't we know that our hearts are easily distracted, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Don't we know that the pleasures of this world are enticing? Don't we know that following hard after Jesus is not always easy? But church, God knew that when he called us to be separate from the world, in it, but not of it. And for me, the best way to do that is through a daily, close, intimate relationship with the Father, through Jesus. He is the only way that we can stand before God. He is the reason that we sing. He is the only way that you and I can be separate from the world. And so I ask you this morning, is there anything in your life that is keeping you from being separate from the world? Don't we know that whatever it is that doesn't compare is not worth trading for the abundant life found in Christ? This multitude, the 144,000, they stand, they sing, they're separate from the world. So whoever they represent, there are some definite parallels for you and I here today. The vision continues and heaven continues to not be silent. Number two on your outline. Next we hear the voices of the three angels. The voices of the three angels. Uh, if, you're, if you're keeping track, this is likely lining up with the seventh trumpet in chapter 11. The first angel proclaims judgment has come. The next blank's on your outline. Judgment has come. Revelation 14, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Now notice this is in contrast to the message of the beast who instructed people to worship and honor Satan. That could be the different gospel that people put up with, smoking of in 2 
2 Corinthians chapter 11. The message of this angel is to fear the one true God, to give glory to him. And this message is the everlasting gospel. That word everlasting. It's a word in, that, that is used in the Bible to describe God himself, the eternality of God. It also describes the life given through Jesus and also the torment and destruction of hell. Everlasting. And so this tells us the next blanks on your outline. Like God, the gospel had no beginning. Like God, the gospel had no beginning. Think about that for just a moment. Jesus giving his life for sinners like me, it was never an afterthought. It was never plan B. It was never a knee-jerk reaction when things went wrong. The gospel has always been the plan to redeem mankind from the grips of sin. This message of life and hope will continue forever. It will not end. And we will one day worship the Lamb and the Father for all eternity as we stand on the foundation of the message of the gospel. Judgment is a part of that gospel. For those who did not allow what Jesus did on the cross to take what they deserve, judgment has come. Next we see the second angel. His message, Babylon has fallen. Babylon has fallen. Pick it up in verse 8. And another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now consider Babylon for a moment. It, it started with a tower back in Genesis 11. You may remember that story. Uh, the people decided that they wanted to make a name for themselves, to build a tower to heaven so that they wouldn't have to listen to God and obey his command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth that he gave in chapter 9. Uh, they wanted to worship whatever and whenever they wanted and not be imposed upon by the one true God. Now, we know that God came down and confused their language so that they couldn't work together, and that's where Babel came from, the name Babel. It was a hotbed of idolatry, rebellion against God. And it is the same site that would later become Babylon and would also adopt, not only adopt, the same rebellious and intoxicated, pleasure-seeking lifestyle, but would also promote it. We're going to see a lot of Babylon in the remaining chapters of Revelation. And so you can write this down. Babylon is a rebellion toward the things of God. Babylon is a rebellion toward the things of God. It's an adoption of the things of Satan. And it is the religious system of the Antichrist. Notice the contrast. Babylon, this satanic and rebellious religious system, has fallen, but the gospel is everlasting. Babylon has fallen means that God wins. Babylon has fallen means that God has squashed the rebellion. Babylon has fallen means the lifestyle, contrary to God, has finally caught up with those who are in it, and it will be a hard fall. Judgment has come on those who have rejected the gospel. Babylon has fallen. God wins. Satan loses. You can go ahead and turn to your neighbor and tell them that's good news. It's good news for those who are right with God. 
So if that's not good news for you today, you need to do a heart check. The third angel warns of God's wrath. Warns of God's wrath. Verse 9. Then the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Now this is speaking to those who are torn between following the beast and following the Lamb. Those who are torn between adopting the, the, the rebellious lifestyle of Babylon and or being true to the new Jerusalem that we'll see in the coming chapters. Those battling being in the world but not of the world. It might describe some of us here this morning. But note that word worship in verse 9. In the original Greek, I understand it to be present tense, which indicates an ongoing action. And so it would, it would read, if any man continues to worship the beast. And so this suggests that God is still offering mercy. And this is going back to when the door of God's grace has not been closed yet. Remember, we've taken a step back. We're looking at a panoramic view here. And if it, if it seems like to you that we're kind of spinning our wheels here in Revelation, we're not. This is just more that circular writing of John. And so this, this angel's warning is, the wrath of God is coming. So make the right choice. Because if you choose against God, the next verse describes you. Verse 11, the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. We don't really like verses like this. Sometimes they would make some people question the love of God. I mean, how could a loving God do this if he loves the world so much? Well, the truth is, God is love, but he's also holy and just. And so he must punish sin. You can think about it like if, if uh, we had a judge here in this county, and every time a hardened criminal came to his bench, he just let him go. Continued to do that. Continued to do that. We would say he was an unjust judge, and people would throw a fit. Wouldn't take long. And, and God is the same. He is love, but he's also holy, and he's also just, and so he must punish sin. In his love, he has given a chance after chance after chance to repent, and each time the people described in these verses have rejected him. This is what comes to those who blatantly reject Jesus. They didn't want to have anything to do with him until it was too late. But notice what it says about those who do. Verse 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the, the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. So contrasted to the eternal torment of God's judgment in hell is the rest that God's people receive. 
That word blessed, it's the same word we see in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. It means to be happy, to be fortunate, to be well off. And so once again, we see the gospel. The joy of the Lord goes to those who surrender to Him. We can only escape the wrath of God if we choose to surrender to Him. So we've seen and heard these 144,000 standing, singing, separate from the world. We've heard the voices of the angels. The first, judgment has come. The second, Babylon has fallen. The voice of the third angel warns of God's wrath. Finally, we see number three, a time of harvest. A time of harvest. It anticipates the final judgment of the world. Verse 14. Then I looked and behold, a white cloud and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple crying aloud with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And so he who sat on the cloud thrust his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now we've seen that description of one like the Son of Man in Revelation chapter 1. Do you remember who it is? It's Jesus. See, ever, ever since he left this earth, through his people and through his Holy Spirit, he has been harvesting souls into his kingdom. Here, the harvest is to judge lost souls. He's permitted the tares to grow and sow. And now it's time because they have ripened. Verse 17. Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out, of the, out from the altar, who had power over fire. And he cried with a loud voice, cried to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And so the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horses' bridles for 1,600 furlongs. So this is a, a picture of the battle of Armageddon that we see in chapter 16. The destruction and bloodshed will be like a flood. This, this number indicates four feet deep, 200 miles long. Now to give you an idea, put that into perspective, that's the distance between here and Jackson, Tennessee, or here and Memphis, Beale Street in Memphis. So this is probably hyperbole, but imagine the bloodshed it would take for that much blood. This is a picture of the wrath of God. This is a picture of what my sin deserves. And it's a picture of the grace of God to still offer each and every one, the free gift of life through His Son. It should make us as believers hold fast, keep the faith, live the life that God has called us to live in the world and not of it. We go into a time of invitation. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes and just allow God to work in your hearts. If you are here this morning and you've never come to a place where you've surrendered your life, 
Jesus accepted what he has done to pay for your sins and to gain you entry into heaven. Then Revelation 14 is terrifying. But can't you see the grace of God inviting you to come? Today could be the day of salvation for you. And if you have questions, please don't leave this place before you find some answers. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, yes, I know Jesus, but I'm not living like it. When his word says to be in the, wor- in the world, but not of the world, uh, you're having a little trouble with the of the world because there's something in your life that is taking the place of, of where God should be. God's not actually the king of your heart. Something else is. Today could be the day you put a stake in the ground and you say, I'm turning from whatever it was, and I'm turning to Jesus because I know the life that he offers is better. For those of you here who do know the Lord, be encouraged. Let Revelation chapter 14 encourage you to live the life of faith, to be in the world, but not of the world. Because this world is not your home. We don't belong here anymore. And one of these days, the Lord will take us home. If you came in with burdens, if you came in confused, you will seek the Lord. You'll find Him. What has God said to you today? And what are you going to do about it? Lord, we invite you to come. And Lord, uh, we admit that um, some of your word, even Revelation 14, it's, it's intimidating, Lord. But we thank you that uh, it still applies to our lives today, that we can, we can see that. Lord, help us to see that. Let us not get overwhelmed with what we can't understand. Let us listen for your voice, because I know that you speak to our hearts. We thank you, Lord, that you do speak to our hearts beyond what the messenger says. That's the power of your word. And so we claim that promise, Lord, that it, that it is going to do what you want it to do. If there are any among us here, Lord, who don't know you, may today be the day of salvation. Work in their hearts. Let them get answers before they leave this place. If there are any who are not living for you, Lord, help us to turn from whatever it is that has taken your place in our lives and turn back to you to find the abundant life that only you give. Lord, for those of us who, who do know you and would say that we are living for you, Lord, help us to be encouraged. Give us the strength to live each day by faith. Help us to be ready if what we're reading about here in Revelation happens in our lifetime. We do love you, Lord, and we need you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.